Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Great to be together again, worshiping together in this room. And for those of you online, it's great to be gathering and having you join in with us as well for week number two of what we're calling Come Back Stronger. Talking about what does it mean to come back stronger as the church in this weird season that we've been in and this break that we've uh, kind of been on of being able to gather physically. And so uh, when I was in college, I needed a job that would allow me to pick up some evening hours to make money. So I went to classes all during the day, and so I needed something where I could punch in and get some hours in the evenings. And so what I did is I became the night security uh, guard for a local nursing home. That's what I did. Colonial Oaks Nursing Home. I was the night security guard. And so I had like a very official looking uniform and I didn't have any weapon. I wasn't that level of, of authority, but they gave me a large mag flashlight and I had a holster for it right here. It's literally the least amount of power that has ever gone to anyone's head. And uh, so I had this mag flashlight and what I would do is I would go in in the evenings and I would walk around the hallways. I would check all the doors. I would make my rounds outside. I would check all the garages just to make sure everything was okay. And Inevitably, almost every night, I would run into one of the residents who lived there at the nursing home. And a lot of times, they would be scared, right? Because you know, it's, it's like they, they come out in their hallway, and there's this security guard walking down their hallway, and they'd say, oh, no, is everything okay? What's going on? And so my, my standard line that I would say whenever I ran into one of the residents is I would say, it's okay, I'm here to keep you safe. That's my job. I'm just, I'm just walking around, making the rounds. I'm just here to keep you safe. Now, what they probably thought in their heads was, oh, he's here to keep like bad people from getting into the building. But in my mind, also what I was thinking was, no, I'm actually here to keep you from getting out of the building as well. So I would make my rounds and go around and check all the garages and everything. And I would make sure that none of the older, patient, older, older residents with dementia hadn't gotten out for a little journey, you know. And sometimes they had, by the way. And that was my job, was to go around and keep everybody safe. Now, the reason I tell you that is because over the last four and a half months, I, I thought my job was that I'm a pastor. I thought I'd kind of moved past that job. But what I've realized is in the last four and a half months, I've gone back and I've had that exact same job again. <laughs> Minus the holster with the mag flashlight in it. I'm basically, over the last four and a half months, I feel like I've just been sort of like a glorified security guard. My job is basically to go around. I go around to the different groups of people in the church and and my job is just to make sure everyone feels like they're safe. And so to parents, I've been trying to say, when the block is able to be opened again, your kids are going to be safe. Your camp coming up here, it's going to be safe for your kids to be a part of that. That's been the dominant question people have had. Uh, to, to people who are watching online as we began to reopen and, and gather again physically, it's been, hey, it's going to be safe, as, as safe as we can make it for you to come back and be here with us physically whenever you feel like it's time for you to do that. To our staff, like in the, as soon as the economic shutdown happened and, you know, the stock market was going like this and we, you know, shut down Sunday services, I, I, I went around to the staff and it was like, don't worry, your jobs are going to be safe. Your jobs are safe. It's okay. Right now, the biggest conversation we've been having over the last week uh, with our staff is trying to figure out how to make baptism feel as safe as possible. We've got many of you who have uh, let us know, hey, I'm, I'm ready to get baptized. You feel like your next step 
of faith is ready to get baptized. And so we've been trying to figure out how can we make that baptism experience as safe as possible. We've called multiple different places in the community where we could have like a zero collective baptism service outdoors um, with all three churches, Frontline, Center, and New Life. And we've gotten shut down. We've gotten turned away from every one of those. They're not keen on doing that right now. And so we're trying to figure that out. How do we make it feel safe? Have you had any questions in your mind about safety? When you look at our world right now, it seems like that's the number one question. How do we make it, how is it going to be safe for schools to reopen again in the fall? How's it going to be safe? How do I let my customers know if I own a business that it's going to be safe? That is the dominant question in our world. And so today what I want to do is I just want to have a really honest conversation. Can I just be totally honest? Can I get something off my chest here a little bit if I could? I can't make it safe. I mean, not really. There's really no way for me, no matter how hard I try, to to actually make it safe. Not from a virus that we still don't really fully understand and that there really isn't a vaccine for. I don't know how how to make it safe. Uh, Not from an economic downturn and the way that's going to impact the church, the way that's going to impact each one of your lives. I don't know how to make it safe from that. Even when you think about the the racial injustice that's happening in our country right now and the tension that's in our world, I can't make it safe within the four walls of our church from that. Sunday morning has been called the most segregated hour of the American week. That's an issue we have to deal with and it has to come to light in in our time. And so the question I want to ask us as we think about what does it mean to come back safer or come back stronger, key difference there, is how do we come back as the church when it isn't safe? How are we supposed to do that? How do we come back as the church in a world that doesn't really feel safe right now? How do we come back as followers of Jesus when it doesn't feel safe? What is our message supposed to be in our world right now as followers of Christ when really the dominant message of our world is it just doesn't feel safe? So what we're going to do this morning is we are looking at the book of Acts. We're looking at the story of the early church and the story of how God moved in the early church. And last week we began by looking at the story of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit began at Pentecost and the the early church was born. And what we looked at together was the story of how God began to move. And so today we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Acts chapter 3 with us. Or if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screens and behind me, as well as online on your screen. But in Acts chapter 3, almost as soon as the church gets going, they experience a crisis that threatens to shut down the church. It's a crisis that threatens to literally stop the movement of God right in its tracks. And what happens is the church responds, and the church actually comes back stronger. And so as I've been reading this story, I've been convicted by it. And so I think maybe there's something in this story that we could learn from the early church and how they responded to their moment of crisis that could help us during our moment of crisis to kind of say, what does it mean to come back stronger as the church? So you ready to look at that together? You guys in this room are going to have to help me out a little bit. Are you ready to look at that together? Awesome. Yes. Man, it's so good to hear your voices again. I've been so tired of just staring at a camera in an empty room, but it's great to have all of you online with us as well. Um, So this is Acts chapter 3. This is the way the story begins. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. 
Now, what I want you to see there is that even from the very, very beginning of the early church, they had, as the church, regular designated times and regular designated places where they would gather to pray and to worship Jesus together. So the designated place was the temple, and the designated time was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They would gather as the church in the temple, and they would have this prayer service, and they would worship God together. Now, we've lost that over the last four and a half months. We've kind of lost that regular designated physical space. We've still gathered at the same times on Sunday morning, and the space that we've gathered in has been online. That's where we've been gathering what I want you to see is that it's, it's been important since the beginning for the church to gather physically in the same space and to make that a regular habit. And we need to get back to that. We need, need to get back to making it a priority to, to gather together as the church on the week as we're able to. But it's not what, you know, the time or the, or the place was really that's significant about this particular story. What's significant in this particular moment is what happened on this day. So John and Peter, I'll walk you through the story, they go into the temple. As they're walking into the temple, there is a lame man who's been lame since birth sitting there, right, and he's begging right by the temple gates. And as they walk in, Peter looks at this lame man and he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And this guy, miraculously, suddenly his legs straighten and he stands up and he's, he's jumping around and he's dancing and he's making all kinds of noise. And so what happens is this huge crowd of people begin to gather around like you would if you saw this guy who had been lame since the time he was born. Suddenly he's up dancing around. This crowd gathers around and John and Peter begin to preach the gospel to this crowd of people. They're like, how can this be? What's happening? And they begin to preach about Look, Jesus and his resurrection, and they preach about this idea that when you put your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus, that he gives us eternal life. That what he did in this man's body is what he wants to do for all of us in our lives. And they begin to preach the gospel in Jesus' name, and it causes such a commotion that Peter and John are arrested. And they are drug off to meet with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the high Jewish council. The Sanhedrin was the ruling authority of the temple for the Jewish people at this time. And so they're drugged before the Sanhedrin, and what happens is the Sanhedrin issues an executive order. Have you heard of executive orders? A couple of you have? Okay. They issue an executive order, and only this executive order is way harder to deal with than any of the ones that we've had to deal with. And what the Sanhedrin says is, we're going to forbid you from gathering together and preaching in the name of Jesus. We forbid you to do it. You're not allowed to gather together and you're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus at all. And so now you have this problem. Peter and John are released, but they're released with this executive order. They can't gather, they can't preach in the name of Jesus. So what do you do? If you're the early church... It's not like they had the internet. It's not like they had live stream, cell phones. What do you do if you can't gather and you're not allowed to even say the name of Jesus? So what I want you to see is the very first thing that the church did is the church gathered together and they began to pray. Acts 4 verse 24, as soon as Peter and John are released, they gather together in a home group, in a home church. They're not at the temple. They gather together with some other believers, and their first default reaction is to pray. 
Last week, we talked about this. David talked about this idea that if you look back, always the greatest moves of God were always preceded by great moves of prayer. That should be our default reaction whenever we experience a crisis or, or a time where we don't know what to do as a church. We should gather together, and the first move we should make is to pray. In March, when the shutdown happened, I remember as, as leaders, we gathered together and we were kind of like, what do we need to do? And it became very clear to us, one of the most important things we could possibly do would be to gather the church together to pray. And we had an advantage over the, the early church. We, we could do that online. And so every Wednesday night, uh, as, a, as the Zero Collective, Frontline Center and New Life all gathered on Facebook Live and we would pray together. Many of you, I mean, I remember seeing some of your names, even just some of the faces I'm looking at around the room. You, you joined with us. And for months, every Wednesday night, we would gather and pray. We'd pray for our nation. We'd pray for our churches. We'd pray for those who are sick. We'd, and just whatever needs were there. And that's, I think that's something God doesn't want us to lose as we come back. We're called to be people of prayer. We're called to be people who our answer, our response is to go to God in prayer. And we need to continue that, to have a culture of prayer as a church. So they gather together and they pray. But what's beautiful about this passage in Acts 4 is we actually have a recording of what they prayed for. We actually know what they said and what they prayed for. And so what would you pray for? If you'd just been told this, if this executive order had just come and you've been told you can no longer gather and, and preach in the name of Jesus and now you're with your home group and you're ready to pray, what, what would you ask God for? Here's what they asked God for. This is Acts 4, 29 through 31. This is their prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, talking about the, the executive order, and give us, your servants, great, let's just say this next word together, boldness. Let's say it again with boldness. Give us, your servants, great in preaching your word. Stretch out your healing hand, stretch out your hand, I'm sorry, with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's the prayer they pray. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Here's, here's what I want you to see. If you think about like what, what would I have prayed? What would we have prayed if we had just been arrested and then just been released and we now gather with our, our, our home group? I'll tell you what I think I probably would have prayed. I would have prayed and said, God, would you please just make it more safe? That would have been my main concern. It used to be safe. To, it's not safe anymore. God, would you make it safe? I think I would probably pray for the Sanhedrin. I would pray for the ruling authorities. And I would pray and say, God, would you change their minds? Would you just make them turn around and, and, and you know, revoke this decision they made? Would you make it safer for me as a follower of Jesus? Would you make it safe for us so that we're able to kind of go forward? I would pray, God, would you, you know, fix the situation so that it requires less faith and boldness for me? Would you just make it safer? I mean, I mean, honestly, if you think about the, prayer, the prayers that we've prayed over the last few months, are, are, is that really far off? I think that's what we would pray. But what they do, the radical move they make is that they pray instead for boldness. They say, God, would you make us bold? Would you give us the faith and the boldness we need to rise up as the church and meet the times that we're living in? They don't even mention the Sanhedrin. 
They don't even talk about the ruling authorities. That, that, that isn't even part of their prayer. Their prayer is about them. Their prayer is, God, would you make us bold in a way we've never been bold before to rise up as the church and meet the season that we're in. And what I want you to see is God answers that prayer. And what happens is when the Holy Spirit shakes the place, when the Holy Spirit moves in the church, and this is true still today, I think, when the Holy Spirit moves on the church, he doesn't make it safer for God's people. He makes God's people more bold to rise up and be the church that he's called them to be. Maybe another way to say it, go ahead to this next, is boldness doesn't come from feeling safer. Boldness comes from an encounter with the Holy Spirit in prayer. Right? Because this is the line, that this top sentence here, that's the lie that we believe, isn't it? We believe that boldness will happen when I feel safer. Like if, if the whole system can get switched around so that it doesn't require more boldness and more faith, then I'll feel safer, then I'll be able to be more bold. The safer I feel, the bolder I will be, but that's not how it works. And that's not how it's ever worked for God's people all throughout the centuries. Boldness, the only place boldness comes from is from an encounter with the Holy Spirit in prayer. That's where boldness comes from. It starts and ends with an encounter with the Holy Spirit and seeking God for that in his presence. Maybe, is it possible that what we need to do is stop worrying so much about how to fix the situations around us so it feels safer. And we, maybe what we need to do is press into God as people and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to make us bolder for the season and the times that we live in to be the people of God that he's called us to be in these times. Is that what we need to ask God for? I've been convicted of that, my friends. I'm not just saying this to you, I'm saying it to me. I've been convicted that that's what God wants me to be asking for, that that's what that I need to be praying for and asking God to do that. When they do that, when the church begins to ask for that, and when the Holy Spirit moves and shakes the place and fills them and they begin to go out with boldness, what happens is they start living, the church starts living as this bold resurrection community Monday through Saturday. They begin living their faith in such a radical way out in the community with such boldness that it literally changes the fabric of their community. I want to read the next verse. We just read to verse 31. I want to read the next verse. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture as it describes what happened after they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to preach with boldness. And we have these five zeros as a church that make up our vision. One of those five zeros is uh, zero needs among us. And it comes from this passage. It comes from these verses. So let's look at this together. This is verse 32 and beyond. When they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to, to preach with boldness, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Stop for a second. Imagine that for just a moment, would you? All the believers were united in heart and mind. What would that be like? I ain't seen that in four and a half months. Have you? 
Something happened. When the Holy Spirit began to fill them and they began to ask God for more of what he had for them, what happens is there was something that united them that was just bigger and more powerful than all the little things that divided them. They began to become unified in heart and mind. And out of that, they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Here's a question. What does it do to you when you read those verses? What happens inside of you when you read those verses? I've been reading those verses for a couple of decades now. And even now, even standing on the platform right now, saying those words, reading those words out loud, it's like this miniature explosion goes off inside of me every time I read those words because I want that. I want that. I want that for us. I want that for you. I want that for me. I I want in my lifetime, in my generation, I want to be a part of a move of the Holy Spirit that is so powerful that unites the believers in one heart and one mind, and to the point where people don't stop, you know, they stop caring about their individual kingdoms, their individual things, and say, no, I just want to be a part of God's kingdom coming and his will be done here on this earth, the same as it is in heaven, in such a powerful way that one day we look around and we go, wow, everybody's needs are met. Everybody's good. Everybody's taken care of. What a powerful image of what happens when the church begins to seek the Holy Spirit, and God begins to give the church boldness to rise up to meet the times. That's what happens in this story. Now, uh, I want to tell you, I've had glimpses of that here at Frontline over the years. And in fact, I just want to share with you a little bit of of, uh, our history, Frontline, as a church, and something that God's been speaking to me lately about this, about what it means to be followers of Christ who live with boldness. In 2006, we took over this building. If you're watching online and you've never been to our facility, you may not realize this is a 103,000 square foot building. It's enormous. Uh, It was an old Meyer building. And when we moved in, it was like, it was so enormous. We were a church of about 400 people at the time. And it was like putting an extra, extra, extra large t-shirt on a toddler it was just enormous. And in fact, this is what uh, the building looked like. Sorry, this is kind of an old photo from 2006. When we moved in, this is what it looked like. It was just this big, giant, open warehouse space. You could see the beams and stuff that are still here. But it was just open. It was just complete you know, emptiness. And so as, as a team, as we began to pray and as we began to ask God, it was, it was kind of a miracle story how we were even able to get this building the size church we were and the amount of money we had. And so we began to pray and say, God, you gave us this building. And as we began to draw up the master plans for it, we began to say, what do you want this building to be, God? And I felt so clearly as we prayed, so clearly from the Holy Spirit that we were supposed to develop a church in this side of the building, but then this other side of the building, this whole huge open area over here was supposed to be a community center, a community center that would be blessing and giving back to our community in the name of Jesus. And if you've been a part of Frontline for a long time, you know, like I've, I can't tell you how many times I stood right on this stage and I would say, hey, we're going to, you know, even as we were trying to finish our children's ministry and finish the lobby, hey, we're trying to finish out this uh, side of the building for a church, but that side of the church is going to be a community center someday. And people would say, well, what does that mean, Brian? And I would say, I have no idea. 
I have no idea, but that's going to be a community center. It's going to give back to the community some, somehow, some way. And so a few years went by. We still hadn't done anything with the building, and a family came to our church. Jessica Johns and her family uh, came and started attending Frontline. And Jessica called up my wife and I and said, hey, we're kind of newer to the church. I'd like to meet with you and your wife. And I said, okay. So uh, Carrie and I sat down with Jessica, and she said, hey, I've heard you, you know, in sermons, sit there and talk about how we're going to be a church on this side of the building, but someday that side of the building is going to be a community center. She said, I just want you to know that resonates with me. I feel like that is from God, that that's what God wants to do, and I'm really excited to be a part of that. And I'm like, that's great. And then she said this. She said, as I've prayed, as I've sought God, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke something to me that I'm supposed to tell you. Great. By the way, pastors love it when you say that to them. <laughs> it's one of those things when somebody says, hey, God told me to tell you something, it's kind of like, this could be really good or this could be really bad. I mean, that's kind of the feeling you have inside of you. But, but God does speak that way sometimes. He does, the Holy Spirit does speak to people to, to, to say things. And so this is what she said. She said, I feel like the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, and I'm supposed to tell you this, that before that side of the building will ever become a community center, there's going to be a test. And she said, I think what's going to happen is someone is going to offer you an incredible amount of money for that side of the building, and it's going to be an amount of money that will solve all of your problems. It will change the game for you financially. But if you say yes to it, that side of the building will never become what God has in mind for it to become, and this church will never become in the community what it's called to become. You're going to have to say no. What do you do with that? Well, what are you supposed to say to that? My wife and I are just kind of standing there like, thank you? Uh, okay, I've got a therapist standing by if you'd like. And I mean, what are you supposed to answer that with? And so we, all we did is we just said, okay, let's pray together. So we prayed together. And we're like, well, if God does that, we'll know it when it happens. And so we walked away from that conversation. We didn't talk about it much after that, but it was in my mind. Fast forward to 2014, several years later. By 2014, we finished the children's ministry, finished the lobby. We were starting to upgrade the outside of the building, uh, parking lot, all that kind of stuff. And we still had done nothing with this side of the building. We prayed about it. We talked about it. Nothing was happening. And, and, but I was still standing here on this stage saying, someday that's going to be a community center. What does that mean? I have no idea. But someday it's going to be a community center. In 2014, a businessman from our community approached us and said, hey, I'd like, I'm looking for a place on this side of town, on Plainfield Avenue, where I could buy and develop an indoor storage place. I want to lease your building for an incredible amount of money, by the way. And I want to turn this side of the building into an indoor storage place, basically like a parking lot where people can park their extra stuff, right? Which is not a bad thing. Sounds good. And I got to tell you, I was excited, many of us were excited, but almost instantaneously, as soon as I heard it, that conversation with Jessica years before came back, and I realized, this is it. This is that test. This is that moment. And I'm here to tell you, if the safer thing to do would have been to say yes, because we had some really big needs at the time financially. Let me just tell you, if I would have said yes, if we as a church would have said yes to that opportunity, the chairs you're sitting in would be a lot nicer right now. You'd have like cup holders, and it would recline, and you'd push a button, and there'd be like somebody, something massaging your back. That's the kind of chairs you'd be sitting in right now if I had said yes to that. But if we had said yes to that, 
I know that wouldn't have been the bold purpose that God had for this place. Fast forward to today, uh, the building that, that, that's over here on this side of the building is a nonprofit entity called the Storehouse. And essentially what the storehouse does is the storehouse takes in huge amounts of donations from corporations and entities. It's growing. It's more and more people, more and more companies all the time. And they give these huge donations that are then turned around and sent out into our community to nonprofits and to at-risk people in our communities all around us. What's more, even in the last four and a half months, as Frontline was shut down for Sunday mornings, the storehouse stayed open and... You know, as, as companies were transitioning to make medical supplies, you know, during, uh, to help frontline people during this, uh, this uh, COVID thing, uh, the storehouse was a part of that in terms of helping distribute masks, gloves, or sanitation devices, you know, that kind of stuff. We were, the storehouse was a part of doing that in our world, in our community. And Jessica Johns, the person who had the boldness to speak that word of God, she's the executive director of the storehouse today. She didn't know all those years before that God was going to tap her on the shoulder and be called to be the executive director. That was the purpose he had for her life. And do you want to know what happened to the indoor storage guy? You know the old Kmart that's right around the corner here in Lowe's parking lot? It's an indoor storage space. That's what it is. If you're not familiar with our, with our building, there's a huge old Kmart that's become that right here around the corner. Here's the thing. Here's what blows me away. There's nothing wrong with saying yes and having a lot of money in an indoor storage space. But if we would have said yes to that, it would have been the safe thing to do. And as great as that would have been, this place would have become a parking lot for people's extra stuff. But what God had in mind was a, was a place that he wanted to fill and then he wanted to send out and bless the community and bless our world in the name of Jesus. And that's what's happening. Listen, here's why I tell you that. Here's what I feel like God has spoken to me in prayer. I feel like that's not just a story of something God wants to do with Frontline's building. I think that is a story of what God wants to do in the life of every Frontliner. So if you call Frontline your home church, if you're watching online, if you're in this room, if you, if you, if you call Frontline home, what God wants to do is, this, he, he doesn't want to do that just in the life of the storehouse or just in the life, life of a Jessica Johns. He wants to do that in, in the life of every single one of you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit, and he wants to give you a kingdom purpose, a bold kingdom purpose that you cannot live out without his anointing and his, his filling of your life, and that he wants to send you out in the times and, and the world that we live in today for his kingdom purposes. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's hungry to do. Another way to say it is just God doesn't only want to give you a safe place to go on Sundays. He wants to give you a bold purpose for your Mondays. You know, we think about Monday. Monday is the time of the week where we go to work. We go to school. We start the family routine if you have kids at home. It's the time where we put our heads down, we punch a clock, we sit at our desk, we go to meetings, we connect with clients, we make money, and we wait for the weekend. That's what Monday is. And at church, we tend to focus on Sundays. And, and, and you know, at church, as a staff, like we put a lot of energy into Sundays. We want this hour on Sunday morning to be something that you want to be here physically for. We, we want this hour on Sunday to be something that you put aside in your week some time to actually physically be here with us 
And I just want you to know we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to do everything we can to make this hour on Sundays something that you want to be here for, where the worship is compelling, the coffee is delicious, and the children's ministry is safe and exciting. Now, I know we don't have coffee and we don't have children's ministry right now, but we will get back there. We will come back to that again. And we're going to continue to do everything we can with that. But listen, listen closely to what I'm saying. I hope we come back stronger. I hope we come back to Sundays with an eye on our Mondays. I hope we come back realizing that what God wants to do, this isn't an escape. This hour on Sunday isn't an escape. It's preparation. It's equipping. God wants to speak into your life. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and he wants to send you out with a bold kingdom purpose. Let me be more specific with that. Go ahead. Uh, What God wants to do is he wants to make you bold in your identity. My friends, work cannot be your identity. Uh, Take it from the son of a workaholic father who tried to make work his identity. It does not work. And it will dismantle everything else in your life if you live that way. What God wants to do is he wants to give you your true identity in Christ. Your spouse and your kids, by the way, can't be your identity either. What happens is when we understand the gospel, when we place our faith and trust in the person of Jesus, it says that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. That Jesus, we literally get to live the life that Jesus lived. We get to to be a brother and sister in Christ with one another. Our true identity is one in Christ that is established and firm for all of eternity. It can't be taken from us. It can't be threatened. It's not fragile. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give you an identity to live out of. The next thing, God also wants to make you bold in your purpose. Without a purpose, work will bore you. I don't care how much you love your job right now. Eventually, if you don't have a purpose, a greater purpose, work will eventually bore you. It'll just become tedious. I I can't remember who said this quote. It wasn't me, but uh, some of you have heard the quote, everyone has to breathe to live, but no one should live just to breathe. In the same way, when we work, we have to make a profit, right? But no one should work just to make a profit. God has more for you. He wants to make you bold in in your kingdom purpose and in your identity. And then thirdly, God wants to make you bold in your hope. The gospel takes the sting out of death. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15, that people who have true hope don't put their hope in a business deal or put their hope in a presidential candidate or put their hope in a vaccine, or put their hope in an economy that might get better or might not get better. People who have true hope put their hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And that hope cannot be taken from us. It cannot be threatened. It cannot be removed. God wants to make you bold in your identity and in your purpose and in your hope. Here's the question I want to ask you. Do the people of your Mondays need those three things? You bet they do. Do the people who you will interact with and you will see on Monday morning at your job, in your community, do they need those three things? Yes, every single one of us does. Every single human being does. I'm telling you, when you go into your Monday, when you're a person who has those three things, when you walk into your Monday, what happens is people 
are drawn to that. People aren't repelled when somebody has identity, purpose, and hope, real hope. What happens is other people take notice and they want to be around that. It becomes attractive. People begin to say, I don't know what it is that she has, but I want that. I don't know what it is. I don't know how he's figured out his life, but I want to, I want to understand that. I want to know that. I love what the philosopher and theologian N.T. Wright said. He said, when God saves people in this life, such people are designed to be a sign and foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. What's more, such people are not just to be a sign and foretaste of that ultimate salvation. They are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. Or maybe a more, a less intellectual and heady way to say it, a statement that we've made many times over the years. A ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what a ship was made for. Listen to me. You were made for more. You were made for a bold kingdom purpose. You weren't made to pursue and run after safety, to be a glorified security guard in the world we live in. You are called by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be given supernatural boldness that you would not have any in your own flesh and your own ability, to be given identity, purpose, and hope, and then to be sent out as a foretaste of that in the world that we live in. So would you do this? Would you stand with me in this room? And if you're watching online, if you want, you could stand with us. I just wanna ask all of us online and physically in the room, I wanna ask you just to bow your heads. Let's do exactly what the early church did in the midst of their crisis. Let's go boldly before our Father and let's ask Him for what we need, the faith and the boldness that we need to rise up as a church and meet the times that we're in. When the Holy Spirit moves, when He fills you, He doesn't make it safer, He makes you bolder. And so Jesus, right now we just come to you. We recognize that often it's the most unsafe times that make us go deeper in our pursuit of you, that make us aware of how we don't have within ourselves the boldness and the faith that we need. And so God, right now, we ask you in the name of Jesus for it. Would you fill each and every one of us with your Holy Spirit? Would you give us identity that cannot be taken because it's an identity that's for all of eternity as a son and a daughter? Would you give us purpose for our lives that nothing else can give us? And would you give us hope that's real hope? God, would you, would you fill us up and would you send us out to be your people? We just ask this in your name, Jesus. We recognize that we don't have it within ourselves. We can't conjure it up. It's not about, you know, this idea of being bold just within ourselves. It's about coming to you and saying, God, would you give us boldness that can only come from you? And I pray that as that happens, that we would become a sign and a foretaste something that other people are drawn to so that the gospel message can continue to go forward because that's what our world needs right now more than it needs a vaccine, more than it needs the perfect candidate for president, more than it needs anything else in this world. It needs to be reconciled and rescued by you, by the cross. So God, have your way. Move in power. Move as only you can move. 
And we ask that you would be glorified for all of eternity. It's in Jesus' name everybody said.